I'm Christina. And this is Erin. And you're listening to Something to Wag About. So we're going to talk about being an advocate for our dogs. What does being an advocate for our dogs mean to you, Erin? Being an advocate simply means standing up for their needs. You're always better at defining things than I am. Do you, do you want to add to my very simple definition? <laughs> I think advocating for our dogs means that when our dog needs something, even if the dog might not know what that is, or the others around us might not know what that is. We are educated and aware enough to see what our dogs needs and confident enough to step in and make sure our dog gets what they need. Beautiful. See, that was much better. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. It's good because you touched on some things that I think are important to highlight. And that is the being aware of what it looks like when our dogs are asking for something and making sure that we're knowledgeable pertaining to our own dogs, not, not all dogs, but, but we need to be aware of our own dog's body language and what they are asking for. So we know what being an advocate for our dog means. Now let's talk about what it looks like. For instance, the situation I commonly see is a, it's usually a small dog or a puppy, and it's really super cute. And somebody would like to pet said puppy because we tend to want to touch and oogle and smush cute little fluffy things. And the puppy or the dog might be saying no thank you by backing away or shying away or docking their head or trying to climb up on their person. And that is their way of saying, no, thank you. I don't want this person to touch me, hold me, be in my space. I would like space. And often I don't think that the owners of the dogs see that as something their dog needs because we're like, oh, look, here's Sue. She's super friendly. She loves dogs. This isn't dangerous at all. But what we fail to take into account is that perceived threat is real threat in the mind of the animal. So if your dog thinks that they are in danger and they don't want that giant person who weighs so much more than they do to touch them or be in their space, then they have the right to their own space. People on the street or your friends don't necessarily have the right to touch your dog if your dog isn't comfortable with that. Yeah, exactly. It's something I frequently tell my puppy classes when I'm teaching them that it's okay to say no, you know? Mm -hmm it is your dog. And if your dog needs space, it is okay to tell other people that no, they cannot pat your dog. And it's important that they do uh, tell them that so that the dog can get what it's asking for. Mm -hmm. The other thing too, and you commented on it when you were talking about sort of the definition of what being an advocate is, is sometimes our dogs don't even know they need it. My dog's one of them. And (laughs) sometimes some other anxious dogs, you know, we have the anxious greeters who, who do run up to things that they're not sure about to kind of investigate and, and, you know, kind of submissive hello and, and just, you know, Mm -hmm. making sure it's all good. I'm good. I'm not going to hurt you type thing. 
Um, but unfortunately, people who don't know that sometimes dogs running up to them with this frantic energy is actually a dog that's unsure. So then they can get very outward with their excitement and their emotions and have this big grand meeting. And I know for, for my dog and some dogs I've worked with, if they then reach out and try and pat my dog, uh, then my dog gets scared. So in those cases, I also step in to help my dog and whether or not that's just preventing the greeting in the first place, or if it's someone that I'm comfortable with, you know, just telling them to, to just essentially ignore her. She can run up and say hi, ignore her, or if they are going to pet her, you know, an underhanded pet. Like I am there being the, the moderator of the greeting just so that my dog can get what, what she needs. Yeah. And barking can also be a way people don't see that when a dog is moving towards the person barking that can also be a distance seeking behavior they're asking the person to move away even though the dog could leave could go the other way to the end of the leash or run away if they're off leash a lot of dogs will run to them barking Mm -hmm. in a more offensive way but that's still a way of asking for spaces and and not a behavior we want to allow or encourage want to redirect that and give the dog a different option rather than barking at people but there's lots of different ways a dog can ask for space. And as owners, if we know our dogs and learn to see those signs, we can show our dogs appropriate ways to ask for space and then step in and, and make sure that they get it. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. So making sure our dogs get space from things that they are concerned about. That is one way we can be an advocate. Mm-hmm. And we only talked about people, but that could apply to dogs. It could also yeah. apply to a fire hydrant that your puppy has decided is terrifying today or yeah. a teeter or a building or all sorts of other things too. It doesn't just have to be a person or another dog. It can be, that can be applied to all sorts of things that your dog is asking for space from. Yeah, absolutely. Take person, insert essentially anything. <laughs> if your dog is displaying these, these type of asks for space, then yes, we are going to make sure that we, we step in and, and provide that for them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a, another way that we can be an advocate for our dogs is when we think there may be something that's causing them pain or to just not feel like themselves, to make sure that they get the diagnostic vet care that they require. Yeah. So when you go to your vet, hopefully you have a great relationship with your vet and they love you and and love your dog, but they're only seeing your, you and your dog for that 15 minutes. And if you know, there's been a change, don't be shy about asking, Hey, is there something further we could check? Or is there a test that we can look at? Because I feel that this is out of character and we want to rule out anything medical sometimes above just a standard vet check. It might be blood work or a fancier blood work than the normal one, but there might be something that we can do that's just going to either find or rule out a physical reason for their uh, behavior change. And you know your dog best. So, you know, when there's something off, it's always good to rule out those medical things before we start a behavior mod plan. Right. And also, when we were just talking the other day about this, actually even tried to have me check your dog, (laughs) is when (laughs) dogs are away from the home, some dogs, it's actually really hard to physically examine them because 
A, some dogs just might not like to be handled. So they're squirming, they're, they're tense. And if they are overexcited, maybe they are going to be tense or they might be, um, they might not show the same level of pain when they are out in an environment that they're less comfortable in. So that's mm-hmm. a big factor as well. That's, they just might not be able to see it because our dogs aren't displaying it because of their uh, comfort level in that environment. Um, oh, 100%. Jubilee's terrified about vets. She's had way too many vet checks in her young life. And my vet sent me home with some exercises to try because Jubilee wouldn't necessarily have displayed any symptoms with the physical checks there because she's so tense and so stuck on adrenaline that that you might not see them. And my vet's great, but she's, you know, she says that she couldn't maybe wouldn't have been able to see Jubilee flinch or have a reaction to those tests in that environment. Right, exactly. And I always say, if what you're seeing is something you can observe. I always now try and get a video for my vets. Oh yeah. 100%. It's, not, it, it's not always fully helpful, but I do like, a, if I notice anything weird, I'll start to video it because so many times I've gone to the vet and yeah, my dogs seem like, it's like, I'm like a crazy person. I go to the vet and my dogs are perfect. And I'm like, no, they're just, <laughs> I swear this is happening. Right. Um, so well, really helpful if you, can you are it. a little bit on the crazy side of the yes spectrum. I am yeah I'm a little over paranoid <laughs> because of past learning events conditioned <laughs> emotional responses <Eric>. exactly <laughs> another area where sometimes we have to advocate for our dogs is when an instructor or we're in a class and we're being asked to do something with our dogs or to our dogs that we might not be comfortable with so there are many different training methods and ideologies out there. It's not just either you use a lot of punishment or you only use a lot of cookies. There's, there's everything in between. And every instructor you go to is going to be somewhere on that spectrum and you'll be somewhere on that spectrum. And if the instructor asks you to do something that you're uncomfortable doing with your dog, even though you're paying them and they're the expert, I'm doing air quotes, Um, in that field, this is your dog. And having the confidence to stand up and say, I'm not comfortable with that. Can we do it a different way? Hopefully your instructor is open to that and able to teach people that are wanting various things. Or you can say, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll go home and research a different way to teach that. But having the confidence to say, no, this method, approach, style, exercise, whatever it is, say, this isn't for me. Um, and having confidence to say no thank you, even though it's somebody that you're, um, that's in a position of authority. Mm-hmm. And it's not easy uh, for some people. I, some people have no problem, but you know, I am on the, the realm where I definitely used to be where it was not easy for me to stand up, but know that it is the best thing you can do uh, for your dog, but also for yourself. And I think it really helps you find the right trainer for yourself too, because if you don't feel comfortable with something and I, I, I encourage my students to let me know. Um, but if you say you're not comfortable with something and that instructor gets upset about it, because sometimes they do, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, maybe it's for the best. And there's tons of instructors out there. There's tons of people out there with dogs and not everyone's for everyone. Right. I fully know I'm not the right trainer for everyone. Right. Um, and I acknowledge that. 
and I have no issues with clients telling me they want to do it a different way if, if that's what they choose. Mm -hmm. And it is a way to, to potentially just help make sure you're finding the, the right instructor for you. Um, and there shouldn't be that conflict there and there shouldn't be that um, fear to speak up essentially. You should be able to have an open dialogue with your, mm -hmm. with your instructor. Um, and I know uh, just just a couple of weeks ago, I had I had a client message me after class because they had gotten home and something we were doing in class. Their dog has uh, a chronic issue with their neck. It's being managed well with their vet and the dog's clear to do rally obedience. But the particular way we were teaching something in class uh, aggravated his condition a little bit. And the owner was quick right away when he got home and he noticed that his dog was displaying some of his behaviors that he displays when it flares up. He messaged me right away and said, no, we got to come up with a different way. And, and I applauded him for that. I, I love when my clients are comfortable to, to talk to me that way. <laughs> I, I always try to be that kind of instructor too. It's easy for some instructors. I think if they've been teaching a while to get in, uh, this is how I teach it. This is how it works for me. This is how it's worked for X number of dogs, um, but good instructors will be aware and flexible and open to making sure you're comfortable. Classes should be fun. Most of the mm -hmm. stuff is we're going to classes for to have fun with our dogs. Mm -hmm. um, and even if it's a reactivity or an aggression class or program, that's most of what I teach. I always tell people if, if we're going to do anything that makes you uncomfortable, be sure to let me know because we'll find a different way. And there are as many different ways to do things as there are dogs in the world, pretty much. And you don't have to try to fit your dog and yourself into one way of doing things. If that way, is it going to work for you or make you feel good when you go home at night? Yep. Every team is its individual, right? And not everything's going to work for everybody anyway. So it's actually something I quite enjoy about being an instructor. I really enjoy troubleshooting things mm -hmm. and whether or not it's just because something's not working or a client's not comfortable with something I think it's really it, it's, it's a very interesting part of my job um yeah. I so love it too. It, it's definitely something I I actively seek when I'm looking for instructors to work with myself to to further my skills is people who enjoy having these open dialogues about training and and mm -hmm. problem solving and stuff yeah and for, there are so many options for learning right now. Even if you can't find a local instructor that fits the way you want to train, we have access to so many different online trainers now that they're, they're, you can find someone that trains the way that you're comfortable with. And you know you can work virtually with them one-on-one -on -one or group classes or all sorts of ways online now. It's really great the way the world has opened up as far as working with trainers from all over the world. Thank you.